0: Welcome to Hulal Money Matters presented by Saturna Capital. I'm Christopher Patton. And I'm
1: Monim Salam.
0: Our topic today is an interesting one that I didn't know a ton about.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you, you find some people who are super, super productive. They always find time to be able to do like 10,000 different things. Um, and so th- those people like that. And other people are like, you know what, I, I can only get one thing done a day. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think this, uh, this, uh, this episode, it speaks to a little bit of that and how you put baraka into your time and your money.
0: So, not just looking at how to become a more productive individual, but what are the religious benefits of taking that kind of like a scientific approach to maximizing your productivity?
1: Yeah, and we have a great guest today. Uh, his name is Mohammed Fares. He's the founder uh, and chief productive officer for uh, the Productive Muslim Company. Funny, I've, I've known him for a few years, and and you know initially he'll talk about this also, but he started off just doing this on the side, then it became a company, and now you know, he speaks around the country at, at, at large uh, companies, small companies talking about this, you know, and becoming more productive.
0: I watched some of his talks online. He did a TED Talk about this. super interesting. I'm excited to speak with him.
1: Mohamed, thank you for, for, for joining. I, I think this is a a very important topic and what we wanted to discuss was a little bit about being productive from from a from an overall your life perspective but we really this because this is a halal money matters podcast kind of really talking about uh, you know how a muslim uh and especially our shareholders which are primarily muslim you know can be productive in their financial life as well uh, but before we get into that i think uh, chris had a couple of good introductory questions so we'll start there and then, and then, and then, and then we'll go, we'll go on.
0: So I saw you kind of self-identify as a productivity geek in college. And I'm curious what drove that at one and two, was your interest in productivity, was it always through a faith lens or did those associations kind of come later on?
2: Yeah. Great questions. Um, So Bismillah. So I think, yeah, started off what got me to productivity was me being in college and being involved in a lot of stuff. Um, I was involved, I had two part-time jobs. I was doing a master's degree and I was um, involved in the community and I felt busy. I felt like I felt overwhelmed, busy, stressed out. I'm like, man, like I'm just a rinky dinky student and here I am really being stressed out about how to manage all this stuff. What would happen in five, 10 years if I get married, I have kids and if I'm you know, getting involved with work. So I really felt like I need to figure this out. And one of the best advice I ever got when one of my flatmate was like if you ever face a problem someone somewhere wrote a book about it I'm like huh that's a great <laughs> so I'm sure there's something out there, that, out there And that's when I kind of stumbled on this whole genre of getting things done and productivity and like you know how to like become more efficient and also I was a bit of an apple boy you know mac geek also so I was doing all the softwares to kind of like you know fly through my emails and just you know you know trying to you know get any, anything that will get me more efficient and more productive. So that's when I started to stumble on the whole science productivity, mainly from just that getting things done, life hacking. I was a you know a loved lifehacker.com and, and gadget, all those blogs to talk about, you know, just how to get more efficient. It's only when I when I started and when I started the blog, I actually started it as a me share what I'm learning so I was kind of taking all sort of all of the, the knowledge of getting all these books and websites and just sharing with my Muslim community because a lot of my friends said, hey you know how do you do it and how do you balance everything else like, let me just write a blog about it I was I was into writing when I started a blog for a long time those 2007 like everyone started a blog right but it's only a year later after kind of blogging for a while that I started sort of um, re- started asking the question wait a second this whole productivity thing seems so cool amazing and makes my life better where in my faith, and for me, I felt like Islam offers us a, a complete way of life, like where in Islam talks about productivity. I don't hear imams and scholars talk about productivity as a concept, but you don't hear from the Friday, you know, Friday sermons, or if you don't hear from normal lectures. And that's when I started sort of kind of putting the productivity hat on and kind of rereading verses in the quran and and sayings from muhammad be upon him and realizing wait a second there's all this productivity stuff going on here that i've just never thought of it that way and that's when the
1: whole uh kind of new approach with faith-based approach took off basically so what was your first like either hadith or Quranic verse that you came across and you know sometimes what happens is you read verses over and over again and then you read it for the 15th time and you're like oh my god oh wow this is crazy i've never even thought of it this way you know, so it was like yeah. his first verse that, that was like
2: that. I think it was a hadith. actually. It was it was the hadith that says, "Allah put barakah in my ummah, my, my nation, in the early hours." And what it, it was not the hadith itself is it the commentary of the hadith. So the, the they say the, the 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 companion, his name was Tahir al-Ghamdi, who heard this hadith. When he heard this say Muhammad, he started sending his trade early in the morning, he started going to the market early in the morning and became very wealthy as a result. If you just read that had the face value, okay the prophet's making to you know please praying for you to have some kind of bark in the early hours oh that's nice. but this man was you know was this man was very smart and realized wait a second, that's a secret to basically becoming productive financially and basically to grow his wealth. So he started sending his trade and sending his sort of uh, goods in the market early in the morning. And the funny thing is because every productivity book I was reading up until that point talks about wake up early, wake up early, wake up early, right? <laughs> if you want to be productive, you got to wake up early. And that's when I realized, wait, wait a second, here's the hadith that tells us kind of the secret of why we should wake up early, which is the idea of barakah, something that we talk a lot about but Muslim. is so important about this idea of tapping into this divine goodness, this special time, special places where there's more barakah that really helps you uh, become a better version of yourself and also helps bring blessings upon blessings that you don't even expect, basically.
1: I'm trying to think about your career also, because you you did finance um, and economics and then went into Islamic Development Bank right away. So um, now I'm thinking about it saying, was it that your lens that hit you on that hadith uh, first or Mm -hmm. because of your finance background or maybe would have been... if you were a biology major, you know, would you have hit up on another hadith on productivity? <laughs> That's
2: true. Yeah, we the final, yeah, I was, I was yeah, I was definitely a finance geek a little bit. I was a finance yeah. student for Bachelor Masters. And I also, like, I was recognized. And, it wasn't, and, and the funny thing, wasn't in perspective of, oh, let me just find out the secrets of becoming a millionaire when I'm 25, right? It was more about just recognizing that there's something in the early hours that all the productivity geeks that I'm reading about talk about. They can't pinpoint why, and I'm like, here is almost, almost like a clear explanation of what it is about this. What's the secret of early morning hours that brings that? You know, you wake up in the morning, you get so much done compared to say late in the day. That's baraka, which if in that, that's being productive in a very holistic sense as well. So why is it? I think for 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 us. So the way I define productivity is to be also. I, I try to avoid the kind of industry-based definition, but your output over input, right? That's normal particular definition. For me, it's about how do you manage your energy, focus, and time, right? How do you manage energy, focus, and time to be a better version of yourself, to fulfill your purpose in life? And this idea of Baraka, what happens, Baraka is, I feel, is like a secret sauce. It's like a, it's a divine sort of secret that enters your energy, your focus, your time, your wealth, your children, you know, anything, right? So the idea of Baraka, the definition of Baraka means it can enter anything, and there's almost an unexplained increase that happens, unexplained growth. But it's not even almost like logical, but it's there. And that's that's the idea. And this way they say butterk is where the divine world fits the fits, you know, meets the human world. And as we experience for example, when you wake up early, for example, when you give charity, um, we also see it when example you invite friends over, and let's say you, you have invited like 10 people over and they decided to bring all their friends, and like 20 people show up at your house, and somehow there's enough food, even though you cook just for 10 people, somehow there's enough food, that's Baraka, right? There's, that, there's something, there's some unexplained growth that happens. So we've all experienced some parts of Baraka, but for me, like that is kind of like what, I feel like that's the, um, if we can tap into, yes, you can improve your efficiency, productivity, you can learn all these life hacks, but what's more important for us to become more productive is to tap into this, uh, this, this divine blessing called Baraka by you know, aligning our mindsets, our values and rituals,
0: to attract the butter lives basically. At what point did you decide to kind of pivot your career to pinpointing this idea? Yeah, I think it was 2008. So I started the blog
2: 2007. By 2011, when I started getting invited to do training and workshops, and then I started getting I got a book deal to write a book about it. Realized, okay, this is getting a little bit you know serious. And um, at one point in 2015, I had to make a decision. Like either I shut the website down and just you know focus on my career as a Islamic banker, you know, for for a risk manager to be specific, or do I just jump into this full speed ahead and just see how far I can go with it. And honestly, the answer to me was, was pretty clear, just that this was more meaningful to me, even though I enjoyed working in the Islamic finance industry, I enjoyed working at the, at the Islamic development bank. I had a lot of sort of, you know, great colleagues and friends and, and, and the way um, the whole, just I just enjoyed the work, but I felt this was more meaningful for me. Hence, I went straight in 2016, that's when I moved ahead, full, full speed ahead.
1: So I'm now talking a little bit about about this this idea because I think you're right. There there is this kind of unexplained phenomenon, and and you know I I we see a lot of clients in our, in our everyday lives and shareholders of the funds and, and and those type of things, and and there's certain things that I that I tell people and they and they ask me why and I'm like I'm not I don't know I just that's what it is like like one of the ones the biggest one I've, I've realized is like you know having credit card debt you know once you basically pay off like I've told people before once you pay it off. You're gonna find so much more, you know, blessing. And and part of the blessing is what I find is that like when you when you have blessings, you you know where your money is going. And 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 you know you you have no matter what happens, you'll have money left over at the end of the day. Whereas if you don't, you earn it, you it spends, and you're like, what just happened? I have no idea where the money went, but it's just disappearing. You know those type of things. It's unexplained phenomenon um, that yeah, happens.
2: I mean, and, and it's fact, because it's, it's it's real, right? The, the challenge for us, of course, is. How do you explain it? How do, I mean it's a real phenomenon we we firmly believe in as part of our faith. This idea of baraka, it is traditionally has been spoken about. You know, when you hear merchants in the souk, right? You go to any traditional souk, for example, in Istanbul or Cairo, Morocco, till today. This whole idea of you know, the first trade early in the mornings you go in the market, they'll open up their shops. You know, things like for example, don't you know, the idea of don't buy from me, buy from my brother. We think that's historic, that's still today. So they and they understood where it might not make competition sense or logical sense. Oh, my, one of my favorite stories is, uh, I don't know if you know al right? The famous fried chicken company in Jeddah. Um, this, this business owner, Al-Bayq, name is uh, Shakur Ghazala, started off um, this, this fried chicken restaurant in Jeddah in 1976. And he died two years later. You know, he never saw the success of his business. But when he started his business, even though the first two years were terrible, he was losing money. Imagine a business losing money. He decided to give one real in charity for every fried chicken he sold. And I think that does not make any business sense. Bring in a BCG McKinsey, right? And tell them, hey, I have a CSR program on a a business that's losing money. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like make profit first, then you can, you know, give away some money, especially for tax purposes, right? But this guy's like, no, I'm going to start from day one. And even though he passed away, and then when his kids took over, it's fascinating that this became one of the most beloved fried chicken brands in, in the Middle East. And so that the fact that 20 years later, the Saudi government sort of chose al to be one of the uh, given prime real estate to serve fried chicken to millions of pilgrims, right? And I'm thinking, what is it? Like, you know, there's mm-hmm. KFC, there's all the fried chicken companies. Why al specifically? And that, this idea of barakah, right? Sometimes it's the impact, even if you don't see that impact in your own lifetime. In the case of Shakur, you never saw the impact of his own lifetime. He made the right decisions he had the right values he tucked in the right rituals he knew there's something bigger than himself and his business and the purpose of business was to serve and that for me is fascinating and that's something that i feel we've lost and we kind of don't talk about we kind of we come together we think about very logical number crunching lives but i think it's important to put butter as part of the calculation whenever you think of your finances or your wealth or any parts of your life
1: basically you know it's interesting um uh, <clears throat> you mentioned the thing about the marketplace and i remember. I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was you, but but I remember uh, somebody mentioning that in, in the marketplace, uh, you know, and maybe this still happens when when the merchants come out and there's you know one person selling in a, like let say twenty people selling the same thing. When they've made their 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 sustenance for the day, they'll just wrap up and go home. Like they, <laughs> there's there's no idea of marginal increases in, in their businesses, and and I just I just found that to be really amazing. Like it's such a different concept than get as much as you can at the expense Please of people.
2: Much. absolutely yeah. um, my grandfather used to run uh, I mean he, he has a shop in Dar es Salaam you know past a couple of years ago but I remember going to the shop growing up in the summer in, in his shop and just seeing how he traded as business and like I say it's, it's just so relaxed honestly it's like people pass by and he'll give them money I'm like who's that person I'm like oh no no he just comes and collects his money I'm like do you owe him anything? No, no, no. That's like it was competition, of course. Not not, not there's no, you know, it's not like holding hands and just sink on by that. There's competition, but you can see it's not that cutthroat competition where it's trying to try to put you down. And to the point where if someone's business fails, they'll kind of chip in and it's kind of support that person in any way, cash, shape, or form. So these again, these are this constant again, and it comes down to all say to, to mindsets, values, and rituals, how the way you th- think about business and money and how you approach life, the values you hold. And that in rituals, you kind of sort of choose to, to practice. And those three, those things bring this, this buttock in your life beyond imagination, right? Whether it's in your health, whether it's in your children, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your car, whether it's your laptop or smartphone um, or your business. I think, and I think we really start tapping more into this whole idea as part of being quote unquote productive <laughs> beyond, beyond in, in a spiritual sense and also a real sense as well.
1: So let's break down down a little bit. So you said mindset, values and ritual, right?
2: So, mm-hmm.
1: kind of let's let's look let's look at each of these and kind of define. Yeah.
2: So f- first of all, why I promote <laughs> these three terms is there was a research done uh, in the University of Vienna. Actually, in, in a, was a, Dr. Ali Gubzawi, he wrote an article, or a journal paper on uh, why we should embrace religions in moral theories of leadership, in leadership theories, basically. And he said that if you think about religion, what what religion brings to the table is that when someone subscribes to a religion. They have, have three main distinctive features. Number one, they believe in a deity, right? They believe in a, in a God, in a deity, something beyond themselves. Number two, they believe in some kind of life after death. So ultimate accountability, if I put it that way. And number three, they believe in some kind of sacred scriptures, some kind of guidelines how to live your life, right? So believe in a deity, believe in sacred scriptures, uh, believe in life after death, and believe in sacred scriptures. And... If someone comes with that, and and when you do a new coaching, we talk about things like mental models, right? People come with their own mental models, the worldview. If someone comes with that worldview where they believe in a deity, they believe in life after death, and they believe in sacred scriptures, that will inform. Their mindsets, mindsets mean how they think, the way they think. For example, the mindset of being God conscious, right? Being really conscious that God is watching over you in every small, and big detail. The mindset of being um, abundance mindset. Like we said, you know, there's enough for everybody. I don't have to like, you know, cut through. I don't have to cut. You don't, you don't have to lose for me to win. We can both win. That's an abundance mindset that comes from believing that God is, is, is sustains me versus, you know, I got to make sure I get every bit of money out of you, so to speak. And then that's also mindsets. Values is more what we believe in, which is kind of like what are, almost like the, the mark of example, the value of mercy, the value of justice, the value of, and we see in today's society where people are calling these values. Uh, there's a there's a great quote by the the head of um, MBA graduate schools in Western Europe. She said that we've done a great job of of, uh, of graduating effective leaders, but we did a terrible job of graduating ethical leaders, right? And this idea of, of Ethics, but how do you teach ethics? Something like amana, trustworthiness, right? Honesty. Like how do you teach? These are things you, you grew up with. These are stories you grew up with. These are more like, these are values that, that you know, instilled in you either by society or by parents or by school system, or these are values that are important to kind of, you know, you think about and to kind of live up to. And finally, rituals. Rituals are the lifestyle choices, including prayers and fasting and those more traditional worship rituals, but even things like helping people, volunteering. So, that's where the sort of model came up with. If you tap into these mindsets, values, and rituals, um, it can really, you know, basically living this lifestyle where you're conscious, of the way you think, what you believe in, and your lifestyle choices, this attracts this divine goodness, this barakah, which which enters and permeates all aspects of your life, basically.
0: It's interesting, like on our show, we've spent a lot of time breaking down Islamic finance, and you see that a lot of the components are kind of just common sense, things that could be applicable to anyone so when you say mindset values and rituals that could apply to anybody those are just good ways to live your life absolutely absolutely and and a beautiful thing about this that sometimes
2: you know when you you might have these mindset values and rituals and you might sort of yep i agree with them but how sincere you are subscribing to them right that's that's where the that's where the, the that's where the market comes you might a lot of people say yes i believe in justice i believe in abundance minds it makes sense right yeah but, but when it when, when when it comes to when the rubber hits the road right when you are in a situation where your personal interest perhaps collides with all these mindsets of valuing rituals do you go the extra mile and say no I, I i because i because i believe in a deity because i believe in a hereafter because i believe in sacred scriptures i'm going to make that sacrifice even though it does not make sense, like the example of the fried chicken story, right? Even if it doesn't make sense, that's where the difficulty is. And I think that's why spirituality and, and religion in general come and give you that organized system to kind of like help you and to to make to be to be sincere and to kind of commit to those mindset values and rituals. Even if you feel like oh I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> I'm not sure this is going. And I think that's that's our challenge. And that's what that's what I feel like what 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 spirituality brings to the table when it comes to this concept, basically.
1: So now now coming a little bit more now into in, into let's say the U.S. versus maybe the rest of the world. I mean, we're you know as 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 maybe as, as Muslims living in America, you know, we're basically caught up in the hustle and bustle, right, of 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 everyday. So you know, how do you kind of begin to balance? Uh, you know, how do you make, for example, what you said about mindset, values, and rituals? You know. From a, from a, you can put it into an Islamic context and then I would say, oh yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense to me. But then how do I translate that into my non Muslim boss?
2: Yeah, love that. I mean, I I did present this concept. um, I I call it baraka culture versus hustle culture, right? Um, And I made this presentation, I did this in Salesforce, American Airlines, Google, and I presented to a Muslim and non Muslim crowd and, and it will get it and the way i define it so this right now if you think about productivity or productivity in the sort of 21st century model it's the hustle culture model right you gotta hustle if you're not hustling then you're a loser the whole gary v right approach to life and hustle which kind of sometimes you know it's only going up it can can take you up so far we've seen how it had what happened in COVID, right when whenever it just got slow down realize wait a second, if people don't want to go back to that hustle lifestyle. Like We don't want to go back to that where we lose value of families and lose ourselves and become so obsessed with work, 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 where work becomes almost like a religion. There's a great article in um, The Atlantic, uh, a guy called Derek Thompson, he wrote an article saying why workism is making Americans miserable. And the idea that it defines workism, where work has become the central piece of identity. Work has actually replaced religion because it gives us meaning and purpose. It gives us a sense of community and makes it becomes become like the almost like the definition. You think about it from from when you're young, from school to college, you've been taught that you follow your passion, follow your dream. Like this is the this is you know you grew up into this kind of like. I know this, this arc of of become the next Elon Musk or Lex Jeff Bezos, right? That's the narrative. And the narrative is that you got to hustle. If you want to get there, you got to hustle, but the the alarm bells are sounding now. I mean, the co-founder of Reddit wrote about, you know, an excuse the term hustle pornography. Basically people are so obsessed with, you know, getting, you know, you know, hustling, wake up four in the morning, go and hit the gym, check my email before breakfast, all that stuff with like, where are you taking it? the anxiety, the depression, uh, the suicide? Unfortunately, we see in our society because it's it's just a treadmill that is, you know, it, it gets it gets to you. Right. So when I present this, like the child hustle culture is, is very egocentric. It's about me, myself and I. It's very uh, materialistic in a sense where materialism. There's a great book. I uh, just read, finished reading yesterday called The High Price of Materialism by Tim K, Professor Tim Kayser. Great book just about. How well, you know, if if you if your orientation of life is simply wealth and possession, if that's what your kind of your purpose in life, what you aim for, the, the research, I mean he's done a lot of research and studies, it's just it's just depressing. You know, you feel less connected, you feel less happy, your know, physical, psychological well-being. So there's there's that side of it. And then finally, so egocentric, uh, materialistic focused, and and very sort of here and now versus think about you know what you offer to the world to the generations to come. And what I'm proposing, I talk about the idea of baraka culture, a baraka culture that is more God-centric. And, and the reason why I put God in the center, even people feel uncomfortable in a, in a secular society, like, what about God? I'm like, that's the only way for you to get out of yourself, because otherwise you'll be trapped into some other deity, whether if, if it's not yourself, you will worship some kind of celebrity, you worship money, you worship something else. Only when you let go of that and connect to a deity to get to you know to God himself, that's when you can really be free, basically. That's number one. Number two, hereafter focus, recognizing that there's a really long-term game, right? You know, Stephen Covey talks about beginning with the end in mind. I said, begin with the very end in mind, right? When you think about that end, like after death. And finally, about purpose and impact drive, focusing on purpose and impact. Um, that is where we need to make this shift. Now, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in, in Islam or not, even if you just move away from being egocentric to realize that it must be a way different way of living, a way that's beyond myself, a way that's more about purpose and impact. That's important because the way we are taught or driven to be productive is just not sustainable. And unfortunately, our families, our children and society is paying the price for that approach of productivity, basically
0: it kind of reminds me of something in one of your talks you mentioned contentment as a source of vodka and that it's okay to be ambitious and you know work for things but to kind of mean just going back to the mindset um, to try to maintain that to me that's kind of beautiful because it emphasizes gratitude along the way through your journey
2: yeah enjoy the ride right enjoy the ride Um, and and again in hustle culture it's, it's always like what's next, right? You know, you hit the million dollars, what's I and mean, the 10 million, hit the 10 million in mean, the billion versus being content. And you're right. It's not, it's not saying don't be ambitious. And people, people, sometimes I get, I get, um, I get backlash. Some people say, oh, well, aren't you encouraging laziness? Aren't you encouraging people to, you know, isn't this the problem with the Muslim world today? They're too much into Baraka culture. They're not doing much. Right. And I'm like, no, I mean, again, that's at the extreme. I mean, the extreme of just like, chill out, do nothing versus, you know, going all out and killing yourself. I'm like, there's a balance here, guys. Let's just aim for the balance. Otherwise, you know, it's not sustainable for, for either side.
1: And I think, the, uh, Chris, you mentioned about contentment, and and uh, Muhammad, you can probably, you know, kind of uh, find the source for this. But I think it was like uh, contentment is, is a treasure that, uh, that has no balance. I can't remember no, the, that was. Actually,
2: it's funny because uh, in this book, Tim Caseur, in the final chapter, he actually mentions Prophet Muhammad Hadith that says, you know, wealth is not having many possessions, but rather true wealth is feeling content in your soul, right? And he actually mentions that and he actually huh. wrote a paragraph because this whole book, I've been trying to prove this statement. And this guy's not a Muslim. He just he just found this saying, he goes, This is what it is. Wealth is not about having a lot of stuff. Wealth is content in the soul. Just think about it. I mean, I always remember, like, I don't know, you guys grew up as a student when you're in college, right? And you didn't have much, right? You grew up in college, you're, you don't have much, but you're happy. You just you just go out and do stuff. And then suddenly, you know, when, you, when wealth becomes the main focus, you feel it's never enough. And you're like, what, what's happening? I remember before, we're like, man, if I only had like a thousand bucks in my account, I'll be, a, I'll be so happy. And then you move <laughs> on. If I only had 5,000, only 10,000, that was only 100. It, where does it end right unless you're content in your soul and where does contentment comes from it comes from again these mindsets, those values rituals that you have to train yourself and discipline yourself as well as um, be proactive about. you don't just kind of sit on a mount expect content to hit you you gotta have to kind of practice and kind of hold yourself accountable if you find yourself hey we, you know don't get you know be content you know you have enough you know you know yes you want more that's fine but don't you know enjoy the ride as, as chris mentioned
1: so, you know, it's interesting. So in looking at it from a, from a non-investment perspective, you know, like, or it's a lot about, you know, how do we eke out that extra marginal uh, rate of return um, above the benchmark? And, and, you know, people come up with their, their spreadsheets and they're like, when, when do I retire? And do I need this? And how much do I save? And all of those things that are there. And, and, and that's important. But, but, but maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, is there, a, where, where is that limit? Or where, where is it something that's productive? And where does it become an obsession?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, I think it's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm in that stage of life now, right? I've got I've got three kids. You know, I'm thinking of having that conversation with my accountant, right, about retirement and school and college. And yes, you set up the plan, set up the accounts. You're there. You're trying to like you know work towards them. But like you said, when do you when we you draw the line between you? Um, for me, the model is Prophet Yusuf, right? Prophet Yusuf when he interpreted the dream of the king saying that you'll have seven good years and seven famine years and he basically during the good years make sure you save for the bad years right so he was being and he could and that would make a great economic decision saying we need to save during the good years so the bad years and that's inspiration about budgeting about making sure you save something for rainy days all that stuff which is great and also reinvesting and so on and so forth um when it comes, I guess, to the question when it comes to obsession is when every morning you get up. Exam, one thing I've done, which helped me a lot, is I've, I've deleted all these apps on my phone where you can check your portfolio. I <laughs> just deleted the apps because otherwise you just get up and your first thing you do, is like, oh, how's it doing today? And it becomes an obsession. So again, it's all they, they tell you, that, you know, our scholars talk about don't let wealth enter your heart. Another thing which I've found is to really kind of push yourself to give and give and give as much as possible. Like to really... Train yourself, even when you feel like it's not enough. Right? They say the most beloved charity is when you give, even when you fear poverty. Right? Like because I could say, "Oh my God, yeah," but I've saved this amount of money for my retirement. But you know, there's a really good cause that I need to push myself a bit and give and 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 have that mindset. I'm not saying throw your you know your retirement money into each cause, but it's kind of training yourself again. Back to the idea of disciplining yourself and disciplining your soul. These are the tests you got to ask yourself you know, am I willing to give knowing and believing that there's barakah in this, or there's, there's, there's goodness in this. That's when you know that you're not obsessed, that you know that you have that balance between preparing, but at the same time, you have the, the right mindset, vows, ritual to know that sometimes you need to perhaps go against a bit of a logic and just do give for the sake of giving and the sake of God, basically.
1: So that's interesting. You actually bring that up because if you take the opposite approach, which is you know, I need to be able to make as much money as possible, even my portfolio, so that the more money I make, the more zakat I can give. Because uh, I've heard people saying that, so it's it's, it's a practice. That, yeah, it's a it's a practice, right? So, I mean, you know, yes, at a million dollars, that one percent extra that you make is going to be ten thousand more dollars in zakat that you can give. Should, should I not maximize my uh, my you know my, my 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 portfolio to be able to be optimum rather than not?
2: One of the scholars told me, the actual teacher told me this, Jeff, and he said you need to don't say I'm going to have to have a million dollars to give is it start get getting the habit of giving and giving generously based wherever you want to stage. If you're the, if you're the shrinky dinky student who only has like a thousand or you know, 500 bucks in his account, or even a hundred bucks in the account, give, you know, at that level, whatever that amount is reasonable for you. If you're the millionaire, give it that level. So it's almost like the act of giving should not be dependent on how much is in bank account. It's more like I'm going to give because I want to develop the practice uh, as where of purifying your heart, purifying yourself, purifying your wealth, you need to give yes, the is a bare minimum, but at least go above and beyond that. So I would say, you know, you might think I'm, I'm, I'm trying, my intention is good, right? My intention is I want to maximize my portfolio so that I can give really generously. But I'm saying don't wait till that happens. You know, give while you try to maximize. This should not be too, uh, don't like I'm going to wait five years to maximize, it. then I'm going to give. No, give now. And you'll see the barakah that comes in your in your
1: wealth as you grow. That's interesting. I have I, always told my kids, you know, because when they're when in, their, in their summer jobs and those type of things to break break your income into three, right? It's one third charity, one third savings, one third you can spend. And sometimes somebody told me, well, that's not sustainable in the long run. I'm like, you're right, but they're not paying for rent and not paying for food. So once they get to that, it might not be one third, one third, one third, but at least they'll be every paycheck. They'll have a habit of doing something mm. with that mindset of having three different goals right one is on yourself one is on savings and one is on 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 spending it on charity so um it. hopefully it works for them i don't know
2: and also the thing is sometimes there are certain like i said sometimes these baraka investments i call them right these charities or small things you do when you're young or at an early age they come they come back years later right it's not like it's not like immediate roi it's like oh i give get five bucks now i'm gonna get a five bucks in, you know in the, in the mail next mailing Sometimes you make these small things over, you know, you might get you might feel the baraka, whether maybe perhaps in, in their education, maybe in their grade, maybe in the, the type of friends who surround them, right? We don't know how baraka manifests itself. Baraka is like this blessing that comes we don't expect. It could be great set of friends, a great mentor they bump into. Um, you know, you know, a long life for their parents. Like there's so many other ways that they can experience baraka because of active giving. This is a good act that. I know I'm not, a, I'm not losing, right? I'm not losing this game. Once yeah. the, the Prophet, peace be upon him, um, he went home. And because there was someone, someone donated um, a piece of uh, sort of meat lamb, I think to, to, for dinner, for Pro- Prophet, Prophet, peace be upon him. And um, his wife kind of, she donated all of it, most of it away, she gave almost away, except for the shoulder, which was the part the Prophet used to like to eat. And then, so she the so Prophet asked uh, his wife how much of the lamb was left. And um, she said, you know, we spent all, we gave away all of it except for the shoulder. And then he said, no, no, no. You know, we basically, we've actually spent the shoulder, the shoulder will just go in our stomach, you know, the, that part of me will go in our stomach and go away. But that one we sp- donated, that's what's, that's, that's, that's for us forever, right? You've, you actually, mm-hmm. that's the investment in hereafter. That is for us forever. So if you think that way, that I'm going I'm, I'm not losing money, but actually almost like putting in a bank account that brings back this ROI, which I cannot even fathom, it opens a whole different worldview, which is, I feel very healthy when it comes to wealth management and you, how you run your finances, instead of being that myopic, you know, a spreadsheet one plus one equals two, so to speak, basically.
1: In, in, your, in, your, in your speeches that you've given in other places and seminars you've given, what is a, a common thread when it comes to finance and investments that people keep questioning over and over again? What, what, what would be the most common
2: yeah, a lot of it, again, it comes to Saudi baraka a lot of people struggle, right, to make that leap um, between, you know, yes, I see, I understand, I believe in of baraka. I believe that if I, you know, if I invest in halal investments, if I, you know, make sure that my, if, that if I follow my faith values when it comes to how I manage my money, um, if I do give in charity, I believe that there's an ROI, but I just not see, but I can't make logical sense of it. And this is where, in the, that leap of faith is needed um, when you are sort of trained in a specific worldview to kind of switch worldviews even though you believe in that second world you just, you just haven't experienced it so you need more of that experiences and that that's kind of the biggest one that comes up um, and how do you
1: how, how do you advise them to make that jump
2: <laughs> that's a good question It's again Baraka is experiential it's not something you can teach and it's not something you also test, you know, people are like, oh, like, you know, God forbid I use the term, like test God, Oh, well, let's see what happens, right? It's something you gotta go both feet in and you might not see the ROI in the way you expect it to see. That's, some, I'm gonna put it that way because sometimes you think, oh, but wait, I lost my investment or oh, I didn't actually make as much money as I thought I would. But you might say, well, maybe you didn't see Baraka there. Um, I will say that the way you measure Baraka is three ways. One is of course some increase of growth, but sometimes just stability right? If you have stability, think about it, we went through a COVID year. If you have stability in your income, stability in your financial managed wealth, that's Baraka, right? You think about it, all people lost their jobs and just, you know, just, you know, lost their investments or the business collapsed. The fact that you have stability, that's a form of Baraka. And finance continuity, right? The fact that something continues for a long period of time. Um, for example, let's say you have a small project, a small business that keeps on, you know, that keeps bringing some return or something small that keeps on going. Continues also form of Baraka. Um, we when we interviewed um, Dr. Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, the president of ISTB, the previous president, he was president for 40 years. And we asked him what surprised the most of leading IDB for 40 years. He goes, the fact it continued. He goes, he never expected that bang to last. He said the fact it continued, it's like he was like, I'm just I'm like I'm surprised by that, right? I mean, I'm not sure the good thing or bad thing, but he was yeah. surprised by that. But that that's for him, that's the form of baraka, basically. So it's, it's you make that leap by by going to jump in and then realizing that you are not losing in this game. There'll be benefit maybe beyond the way you think how you expect that benefit. And that's the perhaps, and that's kind of, I think that's faith. And that's where faith comes in, right? It's one it's, of it's those things where you got to take that leap with that faith mindset, basically
0: you offered up one definition during one of your talks that was from a scholar and a linguist. And I wrote it down because I want to just offer it here, because when I heard you say it to me, it was very easy to apply this idea to finance to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is that Baraka is the attachment of divine goodness to a thing that if it occurs in something little, it increases it. And if it occurs in something abundant, it further increases the benefit. And to me, that really stresses that whatever level you're at, you can do something, and it has meaning. Beautiful,
2: love that. Yeah, that's from Imam Rabbas Sfahani. Uh, he's a linguist, and he's just he brought up probably the most succinct definition. Because whenever I always look for definition, but I can, I get all over the place, right? But it's very succinct, very clear. And for me, there's four parts. One is it's it's divine blessing, so it means it's not from another person; it comes from God. It's a divine blessing. Number two, it attached itself to something. Now, what is that thing? I said, your wealth, your health, your children, your, your apartment, your laptop, your 1986 Corolla car. I don't know. It attaches to something. And there's an effect that happens. I call it the Baraka effect, right? Where there's because someone increase, some kind of benefits, some kind of growth, right? Or stability to continue. There's some kind of effect that comes, which, and if you go further, it's, it's just hard to explain, right? This is, where, this is where the part where it's like, it just doesn't make logical sense. right? So that's Baraka. There's this inc- it's incredible effect. That goes above and beyond um, what's what we think is, is
1: possible, basically, as well. No, it's really great. I mean, it seems like, I mean, because I've known you for a long time now, so it's, it's, um, it's one of those things where when I mean, you, you're living it, right? Because you started off in one way, it's grown to be such so much more. So And because you had your mind focused on the right thing, there's Barakah in it as well. So, um, I mean, it's grown because of that. Um, and then it goes back to what you said earlier about the fact the, the continuity. You know yes. it's gonna say continuity
2: and like <laughs> i look back if someone asked that question like yeah the fact it continued <laughs> would be my answer too as
1: well. <laughs> no no it's, it's really good. I, I I do remember those blog days back, uh, back before twenty fifteen. So it's it was it's good it's good to see where you've come um oh, okay. you know and 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 hopefully they'll continue increase because um. I think we do need it. And I think, I think for, for, for a lot of people, I think it's that balance they don't have. And, um, they, they, re, they really need that. Do you have any final thoughts, uh, Muhammad?
2: Yeah, I'll just, I'll just say that you know, one of the things that as, as, as we enter this phase of, you know we've reached a point now where for the past 15, 20 years, we were testing these ideas, right? The barakah and halal investments, and, right? And I feel we reached a point now where we need to be confident about these concepts and these uh, sort of mindset, values, rituals, approaches to life that we need to start sharing the world. I think sometimes as Muslims we tend to be in our own little corner, like, oh, this is how we do things. And we don't feel comfortable feel maybe insecure about explaining how this stuff works and why it's, it was beneficial. So I think we reached a point where whether it's finance, whether it's halal you know investments, whether it's even halal foods, modest fashion, there's all these areas in the Islamic economy that people are our entrepreneurs have been testing ideas the past 20 years at least. I think it's time for us to kind of be very confident and to share a a different faith-based worldview that actually adds value to the world and that can help some solve some one of the world's biggest challenges. And I hope that people take this uh, as a mission for themselves. That's why we've actually shifted our mission to say, it's not about just being the best version of yourself, but to make, be the best version of yourself, but make an impact in society. Don't just be, you know, don't be in your own little corner and just feel like, okay, I'm good, I'm fine. You know, we need to, to go beyond, beyond ourselves and offer the world what, what God has gifted us, basically.
0: Please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about the Amana Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit AmanaFunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. The Amana Funds are distributed by Saturna Brokerage Services, member FINRA and SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Saturna Capital, the investment advisor to the Amana Funds. Investing involves risk, including the risk that you could lose money. The Amana funds restrict investments to those companies consistent with Islamic and sustainable principles, which limits opportunities and may affect performance. This material is for general information only and is not a research report or commentary on any investment products offered by Saturna Capital. This material should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security in any jurisdiction where such an offer or solicitation would be illegal. We do not provide tax accounting or legal advice to our clients and all investors are advised to consult with their tax, accounting or legal advisors regarding any potential investment. Investors should not assume that investments in the securities and or sectors described were or will be profitable. This podcast is prepared based on information Saturna Capital deems reliable. However, Saturna Capital does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information. Investors should consult with a financial advisor prior to making an investment decision. The views and information discussed in this commentary are at a specific point in time, are subject to change, and may not reflect the views of the firm as a whole. All material presented in this publication, unless specifically indicated otherwise, is under copyright to Saturna. No part of this publication may be altered in any way, copied or distributed without the prior express written permission of Saturna Capital.